Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to Season 3 of The Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about creating meaningful change in organizations. While most leaders say they want their company to be forward-thinking and stay ahead of the competition, When the rubber meets the road, there's often reluctance to embrace the types of ideas and thinking that will actually make change happen. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Andrew Deutsch, CEO of Fangled Technology. Andrew, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Greg. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to talking. Um, So let's let's start talking about um, how companies can do more than just talk about being open to change and, and agility in their business. So uh, what, what's a common scenario when your company is brought in to help an organization, uh, whether that's through digital transformation or, or some other large change initiative? Is everyone usually on board with, with uh, massive disruption? Well, it, it depends on how it's brought forward to the company. Yeah. Um, there, and and you know, it's one of those questions that, that I love because there is no one answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it depends on, on what kind of a business they're in. And I, I can give you a couple of different examples at the extreme. Yeah, that's great. So, so I, I was hired to work with an industrial company that made an industrial product that, that, and the purpose of the job was to take them to the next level so that the current ownership could sell. Got it. Now, in that building were people that, as I joke, had never looked over the wall of the building in 40 years since they, they started working there 40 years ago. And when you would start talking about, you know, things to, to benefit and change in that business, people would literally hold up like four fingers and you go, what's the four fingers? And they would say, I only got four more years of this. If you think you're going to make any changes and make my life change at all, you're nuts to the point that there were actually threats of take you behind the building if you try to try to make my job more difficult. So that's one, one extreme of it. I have another client that's in the industrial space. Everything that they make is custom. They have a specific product line, but it's an industrial facility. Every order that comes in is completely different than the order before. 
And everyone in the building is used to every order being different. So their comfort for change is completely, completely opposite to that first example. When I talk to those guys, it's, oh, you're going to be able to bring us even more stuff to do. And if we make some changes and we do these kind of things, we can. And, and the excitement for the change is, is palpable when you talk to them. Yeah. So, you know, the, the answer to the question is yes, no, maybe, and yes and no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is that, do you do you think that's like a, how do you teach a little bit? I mean, there's, balance is good, right? So mm-hmm. how do you teach a little bit of one to the other, in other words? Because maybe, maybe even on the extreme end of being open to all kinds of change, um, you can tend to be a little bit reactive, but like, how do you, how do you help organizations kind of balance all of that? Well, at, at the core of almost every strategy, you have to look at that individual and listen and ask questions to try to figure out how can that change make their life better? What's in it for them? And when you can find that and analyze that, all of a sudden the guy that wants to take you, take you behind the building because he wants to knock you out for wanting to make a change. Uh, if, if my change makes your life easier, and not more complicated, would that help you? Right. And 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 those those kinds of powerful questions where you really address at the core, it isn't that he doesn't want change. It's that he doesn't want to do anything more than he has to do to finish out his years. Mm. But what if I could make your last four years take less effort than all the 40 years before? Yeah. And yeah. and as you start to ask those questions and really understand their needs and what's in it for them, all of a sudden there's there's a different a different pattern taking place. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, with uh, along those lines, kind of, so, you know, you're working with someone, you know, your, let's say your point of contact at an organization, inevitably, they've got other stakeholders and, and other teams within the organization that they kind of need to sell. I mean, you can only, you know, you can only reach so many people as sometimes being on the outside of an organization. So how, what, what advice or, you know, what tools and, and methods do you give people within organizations to like sell into and, and kind of help other people see this change since sometimes that's a, that's a step removed from what you're able to do. Yeah. There, again, it's, it's, it's a very open question with, with a huge variety of answers sure. that could come. But going, going back to what I had said, the understanding what's in it for them, I'll, I'll give you a, a, another example besides those two. So I was involved with a company in, in the packaging industry. And one of, one of the things that I was involved with is, is looking for ways to improve the hand tool products that were being made to meet customer needs. So you have a team of inside sales folks and a team of salespeople out in the field who, once those products were developed, we're going to need to be able to promote and sell those products. So had I just gone to the manufacturers where we, we sourced these and said, we need these changes to be made, make these tools, throw them into the system. No one would have understood it. So at the concept phase of, we want to improve our hand tool offering. We brought together people from the sales team. We brought together people from the customer service team, and we brought together people from the inside sales team and said, we want your input. If how, how would you explain this benefit, this feature, these things to, to the customer and get them involved and excited about the process that we were going to come up with something new and exciting for the company and they were going to have ownership in it because we were asking for their opinion. We wanted them to be part of the process. Yeah. When the tools came to market, because I recognized that my first customer 
was the people who were going to sell it. They were so excited about the launch that they participated. They had their input. They understood this product line from thought zero. We had no, no issue whatsoever in, in getting them to, to be on board and really promoting it and replacing the old outdated tools. Now, the reason that I was able to do that was because prior to that, we had come up with a new sealing system that was done completely without talking to anyone. And one day a container showed up full of these connectors, uh, these seals that, that we made, and no one knew what they were about, didn't know the competitive advantage, didn't know what was in it for the customers. And they sat on the shelf for months while the old style stuff was still being sold. Yeah. So it sounds like um, from a from a measurement perspective and, and again, kind of um, I'm, I'm asking a lot of uh, broad questions here because I know, you know, the it gets very specific when we're talking about a, a specific company. But, you know, how do you look at so you mentioned, you know, there's a few things. One is the concept of at, if not time and effort savings, at least a, a neutral, you know, net neutral effect. Um, you know, you mentioned just then increased sales of, of new products. Is there is there a you know a, a way that organizations should look at at change initiatives, or does it really just completely depend? So, like, should it also should it should it always be an efficiency and an increased sales, or you know how how do you how do you help organizations think about how they should measure so they know that a change initiative is successful? Well, again, going back to the beginning, anytime that you're going to have a change initiative, whether it's in your marketing system, product, whatever you're doing within the organization, the wider net of people that you can involve in the ideation phase of that, looking at the value of it and making sure that there is value to the organization and making those changes when you get the organization's buy-in and you show them that you do care about their opinions and want to know their thoughts so that they can feel like they're part of that, you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. Most failures of change I've seen in organizations are when it's literally just dumped in people's laps. Mm. We had no idea this was coming. We were blindsided by it. We don't know how to react. And, and you go nowhere with it. Um, and the, in the old days of the, of the crappy CEO who says... It's because I'm in charge and I say it goes. Right. That's when that's when change becomes a nightmare. Got it. So is is to me it's it sounds like change is it's part of the culture then when you know when it's successful, you know, change is kind of part of the culture. I mean it's not only is the the concept of change um shopped around to to the individuals and, and, and stuff like that, but it's it's more of a cultural thing. Do you, do you agree with that? It, it is, it is a cultural thing. See the, the problem with the, I, I hear it all the time. Like for example, people say, Oh, I, I hate being sold. Yeah. And, and I, well, wait a minute. It, what you're really saying is you hate being pressured. You hate being uh, conned, misinformed, all of those things that people dislike when they, when they go to buy a used car at the filthy lot at the corner, people actually love to be sold. Because they, being sold means that somebody has found a way to solve your problems and people are willing to pay for that. Yeah. So I, I say that sales uh, is, is like romance. It's, if, if both parties aren't enjoying it, somebody's not doing it right. right, right. So it's, it's, the same, it's the same with change. If, if change for the sake of change is happening and you really don't know how it's going to be better, 
and what it what it's actually going to mean for you and in, in your job and your future, it's scary. But if somebody really really shares with you the benefit and involves you in the in the process of making it benefit, nobody nobody hates change. I mean, if if for example you had tinnitus and there's a buzz in your ear that never stops, and I propose to you a change where a doctor can do something to make that buzz end, you're going to love it. Yeah, because I'm I'm, I'm benefiting your life. Yeah. Um, so it's the word change scares people, but if instead you're talking about change, you're talking about let's make some improvements together, it 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 all of a sudden has different meaning. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about the the client consultant relationship a little bit. When you and I were um, prepping for this show, we talked a little bit here and. Um, I've run into this myself as well as like you get a you get a new client and kind of understand their past relationship with with an agency or, or something like that. And and they they almost describe uh, like a parasitic relationship yep. where the, the marketing agency is just really there to uh, I'm sure there's good intention somewhere and, and everything. But the, the dynamic is just such that, that it's there. They end up not working in the best interest of the of the client. How do you approach things differently um, with, with your customers? Yeah, it, you, you bring up a really, a really important point about how we, we, we call ourselves a consultancy. Our, some of our clients call us the agency alternative. Yeah. And I've even had people joke and say, you're the anti-agency, which, which we're not. <laughs> so <laughs> our, our goal as, as a consulting company is to dig deep within the organization and help them build a true strategy that they can build and grow their, their business from. Whereas many times, and, and, and I say this in a generic way, because there are some really good quality agencies out there, um, yeah. but, but many of them fall into this trap of, let's measure the wallet first and see what we can sell them that makes us money um, without really understanding the business. And, and I know it sounds a little, a little negative and, and, and otherwise, but I'll, I'll give you an example of a pitch that I've, I've heard. So the agency shows up and says, we think you've got a really cool business and we can build you a website that will blow people's minds. We can drive 100,000 people a day to it with the most brilliant SEO strategy you ever saw. We can help all of your people sell better through inbound marketing, through their LinkedIn profile. We can do all of these things for you. And here's the price. And then the owner of the company who's sitting at the table and been quiet through the pitch because he wants to be courteous says, you know what? We make a connector that's used in the landing gear on military aircraft, <laughs> only manufactured in 30 locations in the world. And for us to have 100,000 people in the website is completely and totally unnecessary because right. there aren't that many customers out there. So <laughs> yeah. in other words, the approach is what... Telling me I have a cool business and not really understanding who I am, who's my current customer, who are the customers that I want, where do I want to be, uh, and and is the market that I'm trying to get into viable, and all of that sort of core strategy stuff. What are what are the true problems that my customers have that I can resolve in a way that my competitors? All of that stuff has to be looked at first. Yeah. So we don't even talk about websites and digital media, any of that stuff. Un unless we're brought in for that as a specific project at a company that has a solid strategy. Yeah. Our, our goal is, is to take a step back and really help refocus 
the entire brand, brand story and marketing core of their strategy before you get to play with all those fun, shiny little objects. We don't, we don't design cool websites. We design websites that will wow and speak to their customer base at their model of the world and bring them in and, and, and convert them into customers. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you bring up some interest. I mean, having been an agency owner, you know, I own my company for 14 years and, and sold it a, a few years back. And, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I endeavored to do the best, you know, I possibly could for, for customers. But, you know, you, you mentioned some things here of there were, there are clients that are talked about in terms of, um, you know, so I, my agency is based in the, or was based in the mid Atlantic. And so, you know, everyone kind of knew what the marketing budget was. So, you know, they're, uh, you know, X million dollar client or X hundred thousand dollar client or, or things like that. And it's, you know, it was kind of, to your point, it's kind of approaching things in the wrong way, which is, um, and I think technology is, has, has come a, a, a long ways as well in that, um, there's, there's problem, there's challenges and, and problems to be solved, not websites to be redesigned. Right. So, you yep. know, a website is only as good as the, the problem that it's, that it's solving. Right. And, and generally speaking, it's not going to exist in a silo nor, nor should it. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, I totally agree with your idea. I, you know, I love that you um, think of things more as a consultancy because you might get in there and they have a, you know, $500,000 website budget, but you end up thinking, well, you don't really need, you, you've got these other, you should be looking in this, in this completely different direction. Maybe a website yeah. is part of it, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, so I guess how do you, have you ever had to convince a client that like just really wanted whatever, you know, there's always like shiny objects. There's, you know, everybody mm -hmm. wanted mobile apps for a while and then, you know, stuff like that. Like, have you convinced a client like, that had a budget that legitimately, you know, you could have taken the work. Like, have you convinced them to, to oh, yeah. reallocate? Absolutely. I, I can think of a company. They were, they, they, they were in, again, in, in not the industrial space, they were a manufacturer, but they sold into the consumer, into the B2B space, a product that was highly configurable. Yeah. And, and people would go on their website and they would configure the product and it would generate a lead that then would be sent out to what, what I would say the best description would be a dealer. Yeah. So those, those dealers then, you know, they had no follow through with what was going on. Well, they came to us, how do we generate more leads on our website because we want to sell? And when we looked at the conversion rates, we couldn't tell. We didn't know what was going on. So yeah. rather than trying to generate more leads, we moved back a step and said, let's invest what you've got to invest in marketing in the conversion process and we built a lead nurturing system that would warm up each of those leads and truly understand it and make it trackable before it went to the dealers. So they went from about a 4% conversion rate that they kind of thought they had to about a 45, 50% conversion rate with the leads that were coming in. The problem wasn't we need to generate more leads. It's yeah. we need to sell the leads that we get. Somebody who goes on your website and does an actual configuration, which is a huge part of our business these days, getting, getting customers to raise their hand and say, I'm so interested, I'm going to take the time to configure my own, and then let it just throw it over the fence and hope somebody sells them. And what it turned out was dealers were using those leads to sell somebody else's product that they had better margins on, or, or the, the dealer was price, price fear and said, well, I'll just sell them something cheaper because I know I can get that. I'm not going to take the risk of selling the, 
the premium product. Got it. You yeah. know, so so it, it's happened lots of times. I've I, I the problem is usually we're too late. We we have a client now that that we've been working with for the last six months. They spent eighty thousand dollars getting an entire website built. It had no strategic thought behind it, and and really wasn't functional because of a, a what I would consider a, to be a parasitic agency. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, they didn't need a, a website beyond sort of a, a a branding statement for their company because of the function, the way that their business functions. A, a, a powerful website really wasn't proper for their strategy and we've done other things for them that, that have been beneficial. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it, every, every time it varies and, yeah. and each project is its own unique sort of, uh, uh, environment that has to be, has to be explored so that you can get them the best strategic plan to then go to the best tactical, uh, operation to bring it, bring it to life. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of a lot of the onus falls on the agencies, let's say, or, you know, agencies, consultancies to to be more strategic on their side. And, and um, I guess less opportunistic, let's say, when um, when a, when a client thinks they know what they need, but but doesn't yep. necessarily. But what, what about on the client side? Like, how do you what advice would you have for because it it's great. You know, a great client is, you know, that can be an amazing relationship and, and generate amazing results. How, what advice would you have for, for clients to, to kind of rethink some of their assumptions about what they need to hire and when they need to hire and, and stuff like that? It's, it's a, that's a great question. The, the, the biggest challenge that, that clients have is, is knowing exactly what you just asked. Yeah. So, Many times companies think that they can do it internally. Um, and when you, when you reach out to, to an agency uh, to help when you, when you can't do it internally, you have to look at, at several factors. Number one, not what have they done in terms of the visuals they show you. What are the references and, and what are the accomplishments that, that they can share with you? For example, we, we, we worked with this company and we saw the core strategy was this. And because of that, we, we implemented these tactics and it resulted in this result. That's what you want to hear from, from a reference, not, Hey, check out this cool website we built. Isn't that right. nice? Right. It's so, so you really want to go from what was the strategy? How did you make the decisions for the tactics? What were they? And what was the results? That's, that's part of it. And the other, um, just from a financial standpoint, when you look at a bid from an agency and it has words in it like plus project management fees, if you don't set a limit on what those could be, you may have your mind blown when you get your invoice at the end of the project. Mm -hmm. I've seen bids for a $20,000 website that when you added on all the additional costs and project management fees, it ended up being 50 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that the, the ability, if you see built into the contract, scope creep, as we call it, right. where all of a sudden there could be all these other fees run because they did that on purpose. Nobody, nobody did that out of, out of, oh, well, I never thought that was going to happen. Uh, they knew it or they wouldn't have put it in there. So, you know, it, it should be, these are, this is a very clear scope of the work that we're going to do. He, these are the deliverables that we promise you based on the price. And if you as the client change 
the scope or the deliverables midstream. We're going to pause the project. We're going to look at, at what the additional costs are. You're going to agree to them before we go forward. Yeah. That's how, that's how a fair consulting project goes. Not an agency scope creep nightmare that I've, I've seen just huge egregious problems with that with, with, with folks over the years. Yeah. Yeah. That I've, I've, I've heard some, some nightmare stories as well. So yeah, definitely. Well, um, one, one last question before we wrap up. Um, sure. So your company, um, is built on an interesting model. Um, and you, you have a relatively small core of, of leadership and full-time team members, and then you augment that with skilled experts, uh, you know, a network of them and, and, and stuff. What's, uh, I, I mean, I think, I think it's a great approach. I think it's a, a, a very forward thinking approach. Uh, um, you know, Thank what you. drove you to, to take that and, and how do you think it's, it's led to, to some of your success? Yeah, the, the, at the core and, and, and understand we work both on a project basis. Most of our business, we become the fractional chief marketing officer for our client where we're actually part of their team and involved in, in the, in the day to day on a limited basis. But what happened, and, and I, I got this idea years ago when I was looking for an agency when I was employed with, with a company. And at the agency, we were talking, we were in this, in this very niche industrial space. And they, they introduced me to the, the team. These are the guys that know the industrial space. Yeah. And then I looked into them and looked at their reference and, and actually knew somebody who knew one of the guys. They had never once done a B2B project. They had been doing law firms and, and an insurance company. Mm, so what I discovered was that what agencies do is they'll take on any client and then get their people up to speed, hopefully in time to make the project work. Yeah. So what we decided to do was to build teams around our projects with vetted people that we've worked with in the freelance world that we trust, we know their work, and, and we can vouch for them. So if, if somebody comes to us with a new uh, baby powder, I have consumer packaging and cosmetic professionals who've been in that field and really understand that market space. And I would never use those people if you came to me because you're now in the industrial fastener industry and you want to you sell industrial fasteners. We have that team also. Yeah. So what happens is I don't have to have a huge expensive staff in a building with lots and lots of tables and chairs and coffee makers and everything else. Um, not to mention the espresso machine and, and the, the guy who runs out and gets us donuts. Right. Right. Well, um, and, and all the my other, customers, my customers yeah. don't want to pay for that. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing that it allows me to do is when somebody comes in with a project that we don't have people for, for me to be completely honest with them and say, I understand at the core what we're trying to do here from a strategy perspective, understand that we may have a week or two delay for me to vet some great freelancers that I can bring into my team that have expertise in your area and, and understand what we're doing. Um, and, and customers love the fact that we don't pretend to know everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Well, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. You can follow me as Andrew Deutsch with Fangled Tech. You can follow our, our company, I have our podcast called The Fangled Cast. It's all one word. You can look it up on YouTube or all those places where uh, podcasts are hiding on uh, Spotify and otherwise. Um, occasionally, you know, we'll get a fax here and there if you want to fax me. Uh, telex works, I, I think. My, our smoke signal detector is broken, so don't send me smoke signals. 
Awesome. Great. Well, again, I'd like to thank Andrew Deutsch, CEO of uh, Fangle Technology, for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.